This is sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to Sports Psychology Today, produced in partnership with The Washington Times. This show is about the mindset of sports, and we talk on this show about attitudes, about focus, about confidence, about preparation. We talk about teamwork. We talk about youth sports, and we'll delve into the topics today that I think are really important issues for parents, coaches, athletes, and sports fans to help them have fun and enjoy the sports experience. For our episodes, go to thewashingtontimes.com, and for more information on the podcast or to advertise here, go to winnersunlimited.com or email me at drj at winnersunlimited.com. And now let's talk to Dr. Eddie O'Connor. He's a clinical sports psychologist and professional speaker from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and working obviously in the same profession as I. Dr. O'Connor, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, I've been working in Kansas City for 36 years as a sports psychologist, and I've watched the world of youth sports change. I've seen the demands placed on kids at younger and younger ages now to participate in organized sports. And uh, I've, I've said on my weekly radio show in Kansas City for a long time, I think we're on the road to have a competitive league for pregnant women eventually because we're getting younger and younger ages competing in youth sports leagues. I mean, there, there are leagues here for four-year-olds. So what do you yeah. think about youth sports, Dr. O'Connor? Are we in trouble? Are we going the wrong path with all this? You know, I, I share a lot of your uh, concerns. I've seen some similar things, but, but then also in, in another direction to highlight. Um, so I've lived um, in this area for, again, about uh, 20 years, and I've lived next to a park and almost rarely, if ever, have seen pickup games show up. I mean, there are baseball fields, tennis courts, and uh, just open fields where you know, I'd expect a football game or something to break out. And and I see adults doing it, but I, I haven't seen kids. So that idea of the organization and what's expected um, about where they're getting their sport experiences, um, you know, I'm sad about that too because, of course, they don't learn the, uh, the the flexibility, the settling their own arguments, things of that nature. Um, so, so from that much, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid about the free play and the loss of it. On the other side of my office, uh, I'm finding kids coming in earlier and earlier, but I'm also finding that they are more aware of, as you said, the different training. But they're also more aware of, of mental toughness training and the need for psychological skills. Um, unfortunately, some of that is, is the clinical work where there's more performance anxiety, um, but some of it is, is looking and being interested in knowing that there's mental training that could help them be better. So in one sense, it's, it's frightening. Um, in another sense, it's, I think, good for them. These mental skills are, are great for school and relationships and as they develop. But overall, you're right, it's happening a lot earlier. Well, we're, we're definitely on the same belief system here, and, and one of the things I've noticed is exactly that. When I drive by a park or drive by an elementary school, you don't see a group of kids playing anymore unless they're in an organized practice with parents telling them what to do. And so for me, the whole idea of play is it's scary because it's going away. Everything's organized and structured. And so I think what we're learning or I'm seeing with a lot of kids in my practice that are coming in, I'm seeing younger and younger kids. As I said, I've been in practice for 36 years and for the first 10 years, I think I saw one child under 10. Now I see four or five a week. And they're coming in with confidence issues. They're coming in because they're feeling pressure from parents and coaches to be better than they are, uh, pressure to win. And it, to me, we're, we're, we're raising a generation of kids who are competing at these high levels with these expectations placed on them to be so good at so early, they, they're they not learning how to fail. They're not learning what that's about. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, that I, I agree with you. You know, and part of what concerns me are the athletes that don't come into our offices. Where I've seen kids, just whether it's on the playground or even my own kids, inviting them to to try a sport, and their first reaction is, "But I'm no good at it." And I'm like, "Well, you're six, you're eight, you're twelve, and you've never played it. Of course, you're no good at it." But because everybody else has been playing for five, six, seven years, um, they're so far behind. So my concern is for the the kids in general, where sports is such a wonderful thing to to do, and you know to do it for fun, to do it for fitness, and so many kids at such young ages already are comparing, and they're afraid to make mistakes, um, they're afraid to be embarrassed, um, and sometimes even they're they're then not getting into the um, the situations that are going to teach them that they have to work hard in order to achieve these things. Uh, look at look at my friend Johnny, he's he's so good, it must be a gift, and. I don't realize that he's been working since he was three years old. Well, where's that? Where do you think, Dr. O'Connor, where do you think that comes from? Where does that, where do you think that starts? Oh, man. I, you know, unfortunately, I think that there's a numerous places. I mean, I wish we could just kind of identify it as one. Um, I'm one of those people that don't believe in um, uh, participation trophies. So I've talked a lot about that on, on different shows and stuff. Whereas I think that in the right time, in the right place, it might encourage uh, you know people to to be motivated if if it's truly a participatory event. But I think that the language that we use um, in general in school to make everybody feel good and special um, has really diluted it. So for a number of my athletes as they're coming in, I have to kind of really teach them the respect for what it means to be excellent, to be good, to be great, and to really help them develop the expectation that. Um, they're not going to be handed things. And this is everything from the athletes who, of course, are really good and do get a bit of entitlement because they are handed more playing time or, um, you know, some, some other types of support. Um, but really just in general that um, we're not special, you know, and it's okay. Um, special is special and it's earned. And so I think overall our society about, one, having those um, celebrating these accomplishments and these achievements is, is the other big thing. I've seen so many athletes with uh, such an achievement orientation and their worth based on what they look like or as they get older, you know, how much money they're going to make or um, their, their sports and how good they are. And their worth is so tied in to their accomplishments. And I've seen that actually through adults and, and people retiring. I'll never forget a lawyer who came to me, wanted me to speak to this whole group and was like, hey, you know, we've, we've got our two houses. We've put our kids through college. We, uh, why, why can't we slow down? Can you talk to us? And it's because they had built their life around this, and it became part of their identity. So, so those are two of uh, many, but, but two of the biggest things that I, I think are, are weighing in on our kids in that type of a culture. When I have a, a client come in my office that I work with, I give them a homework assignment, and I ask them to write out five lists for me, bring back the second session. The lists are their goals, strengths, weaknesses, fears, and distractions. And it's always interesting what people write down about themselves. I've had some people come in with two or three goals, and I had one, one young man come in with about five pages of goals. But when we get into the discussion about goals, there are two forms and two types from my perspective. They're short-term and long-term, and then there are materialistic and non-materialistic goals. When I have an athlete write down a lot of non-materialistic goals, such as – and non-materialistic goals are things you can't measure, like building your confidence up, have a better attitude – be a better communicator versus I want to win this many games or I want to have this batting average or whatever that's something you can measure is. When I have someone come in with more non-materialistic goals, I find them to be more grounded because I think they have a better perspective on what they're doing. But when the ones come in with more goal-oriented, specific materialistic goal-oriented objectives, 
oftentimes I see with them there's a lot more pressure put on them, and they've been uh, they've learned that essentially from their parents and coaches, and that's where we have to work on trying to balance that out. I have a saying, Dr. O'Connor, FOE versus FOR, FO versus FOR, focus on execution and effort versus focus on results. And I find that the people who focus on the results, you know, oftentimes are so caught up in numbers, they don't look at the big picture. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're right. You had a number of our our core sports psychology principles, uh, process over the outcome, uh, the goal setting. But what I love, and I get about it in a different way, um, after a couple sessions, I'll I'll bring up uh, a retirement dinner exercise. And in that one, I ask them to imagine it's the end of their uh, season, maybe the end of their career, and everybody gets together. And if they keep doing what they've been doing, what's everybody going to say? And more importantly, what do you want them to say? And I have found a similar result that surprisingly, despite them coming in for worrying about wins and losses and whatever their problem is, they, they almost always will describe to me um, what kind of team uh, leader they were. Um, almost everybody has, I want to be the hardest working, or I'm the hardest working on the team, dependable. Um, and they list all these values, these qualities, as opposed to, you know, how many wins and losses. And that's a great first step where I kind of help them realize that, gosh, you know, the things that you're worrying about and the things that you're spending the most time actively working on really isn't even what you want them to be saying at the end. How do? And that's one of the ways I help move them from the outcome to the process. What do you need to be doing each day in order to demonstrate these qualities, which, as you've observed too, naturally lead to best performances? This is Sports Psychology Today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and I'm talking today with clinical sports psychologist and professional speaker Dr. Eddie O'Connor. For more episodes of our show, go to thewashingtontimes.com. And if you're listening via Apple Podcasts and you like to do what we're doing here, listen to what we're doing here, give us a review five-star rating, and wherever you listen, share this podcast on Twitter and Facebook. You know, Dr. O'Connor, I, I feel that sports is the greatest way to learn about who we are, what we're about, what we can do, what we can't do. But over the years, as I shared earlier in my 36 years of work, I've seen a change, and I've seen a change now with parents putting more and more pressure on their kids at younger and younger ages to start playing in an organized activity, start specializing in an organized activity. And in, in our book, uh, we have a, a chapter by Dr. Steve Joyce for over 30 years, the orthopedic surgeon for the Kansas City Royals, one of the most respected orthopedic surgeons in the country. And he talks about sports injuries. And one mm-hmm. of the things that Dr. Joyce talks about is that we're getting younger and younger athletes coming in with overuse injuries because they're specializing in a sport starting at 6 and 7, and that's all they're doing. Years ago, I was the University of Kansas' first sports psychologist, and I had the privilege to work with Larry Brown when he coached there. And something Larry said to me has stuck with me over the years. He said, told me in 1983, so it's been a long time ago. But he said every young athlete should play a team sport and an individual sport. And they should play them both and not play one all the time. And he said you should play an individual sport because you're really going to learn about self-confidence, about taking care of yourself, about what you've got to do. And you've got to play a team sport because you can learn how to share and deal with everybody together. And I think today what I'm seeing is, the pressure from parents to get kids in a specific sport, train year-round because everybody else is doing it. And if we don't do it, we're going to fall behind. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been thinking about this for a long time, too. Uh, you know, Hearing the same uh, from kids, from parents, the same research, from doctors. And even in the fact that if people play multiple sports, the advantages to that, um, not only from the health perspective, but even from what these people are most concerned about, which is the performance enhancement aspect. But I 
I think that unless something within sport, I don't know if they have to legalize it or set policies, changes that, those negatives aren't outweighing, and they're not really getting away from what actually happens in the sense that, well, for a percentage of people who will stay with it, if you continue in deliberate practice, you will be better, earlier, faster. And, and we know, too, in the science of expertise that this is, in fact, true. And I think that ends up being the continued challenge is that when we look at it across the country, well, this is only helping a small percentage of people. But that's what everybody wants, and there isn't as much care or concern. Well, what about the other 75% that, that drop out before they're the age 13? Well, let me, so let, let me, ask, let me ask you this question. Okay, so, so let's say you have a child that <clears throat> gets started playing soccer at five, and they're on, they're on a, a rec league, they're – they're they're on a team, they're just a fun league, and then they start playing in a rec league, and then they eventually get pretty good, and then they want to move up to some kind of a leader premier team. What mm-hmm. age, in your opinion, is it appropriate to start to go up to the, that next level? What do you think? Because I've got my thoughts. I want to see what you say first. Yeah, I like to you know base it on the research, and from what I've seen, it's it's somewhere around you know thirteen to fifteen to begin the specialization years, where the child is more naturally and intrinsically interested in saying, "Hey, I want to be better at this," and start investing. So, in an ideal world, from both I think development as well as you know the the uh, health of all athletes, if they could play recreational, um, little competition, emphasis on development try different sports all the way up through 12, I think that would be ideal. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But the problem is that's not what's going on. We're seeing it at right. seven, 7 and 8. And, you know, a few weeks ago I did a show about this topic on my weekly radio show in Kansas City, and I talked about a competitive baseball team in Texas for under uh, 10 and unders, under 10 team, coached by a guy who's been suspended by USSSA baseball on probation, and he says, screw them, I don't care. I'm going to coach my own team. He recruits players from all over the country at age 10 and under to come down to Texas to play on his team. And one dad, yeah. and this is the beginning of June, had already spent $30,000 in travel fees to get his kid there and to travel all over the country. What are your thoughts on things like that? Well, that's exactly the idea of, of the point I was maybe not making a good enough earlier And that while both you and I agree with what's ideal for everybody, as long as there's a competing system that delivers immediate results, um, people are going to be more in tune to do that. Sort of like, hey, you know, I can I can lose 20 pounds in six weeks without exercise. Sign me up. <laughs> you know, we're all about these these quicker fixes. And and I'm not advocating for it, but the fact is, is if you take a kid that go ahead and does that training, you know, from from six to ten, he's going to be better than the kid who's playing recreationally uh, in a rec league until you know from six to twelve. So when they go to high school together at 13. The kid who's been training is going to make that team. Now he may not. He may like get Tommy John surgery by the time he's a senior and never make it to the majors. Whereas the kid who, you know, is still just at least good enough to make the team can develop through high school and then maybe through minor leagues and get there. So the over the long haul, I'm sure that the process we're talking about is better. But until we can more strongly prove, um, and I think we have, but but I mean at least get it to the community that for most athletes, this is the better way to go. I think that's what's keeping us keeping us back is that people want to win now. And well, as see, long as we remain so, so short-sighted, we have a problem. I, I, I agree with you 100%, but here's the problem. There's one issue that comes into play that's the cause, the root cause of all this. It's money. Somebody, yeah, there you go. Somebody is making money 
st- starting a, a league for four-year-olds because then you have a tie-in with you know uniforms and trophies and rewards and all these things and tournaments. The, the money that comes in, there are people making money on these kids. And the yeah. problem is it's going down to younger and younger ages. And what I'm seeing, and this is where I think the more we talk about this, the more, the more we get people to realize that I had a, a caller on my weekly radio show a few weeks ago who called in about his four-year-old daughter who was playing on a, quote, competitive t-ball league team. I don't really know what a competitive t-ball league team at age four is, but she was playing yeah. on a team with five- and six-year-old boys where she was getting knocked down in the outfield. And when I asked him, why is she on, at age four, a competitive t-ball league team, he said, well, I play collegiate football, my wife played collegiate softball, and we feel like we need to get her started early. I said, well, how is she doing with it? He says, well, she cries a lot, she's not happy. I said, well, let me ask you, if you, if, if, are, do you consider yourself to be a caring, loving parent? He goes, yes, sir, I really do. And I said, well, then why, why don't you take her off this team? Why are you having on a team with five- and six-year-old boys, first of all? Why are you having on a competitive league team at age four? Have her play in a team where she's having fun, enjoying the experience, and not worrying about you know, getting knocked down or competing with boys. And he said, you know what, sir, I didn't even think about that. You're right. And he called back a couple weeks later and said he had taken her off that team. She was now on another team. It was just a rec team, and she was smiling. And, mm-hmm. and see, that's why I think it goes back to the parents. I think the parents have got to be able to – parents have to learn how to say no. And, I, and just because a child, in my opinion, and I want to see what you think about this, just because a child at age 7 or 8 is really good – doesn't mean they're going to be playing by the time they're 12 because yeah. they, 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 they could be bur- – a lot of these kids are going to get burned out. They'll lose their excitement. They'll lose their energy. They'll lose their motivation. They don't want to do it anymore because mm-hmm. it's not fun. We've taken fun out of youth sports, Dr. O'Connor. Do you believe that? Yeah, I, I've really seen it, and it, I, I, I go to two things. One is the identification um, where we've got too much invested in that little me out there. Um, I'm doing a, a workshop with parents on Monday, and I'm going to start it off with, okay, listen – we love to win, and we love our kids, so we really love when our kids win. It's, it's a little me out there, and we get so much joy, but that's where I call it the parent trap. That's where we get stuck, because unless we let our children own their experience, we're going to ruin it for them. And, and most of the sport parents that I work with actually do have fantastic intentions, and they're really good people. And they really generally do want the best, but they don't, they don't hear this information, and I think they're being driven by fear. And, of course, we know that that's one of the, the strongest emotions that we could have that will determine our behaviors when it flares up. And they're afraid, but I want my kid to get a scholarship. I'm afraid that she won't. I'm afraid I'm doing it wrong. I'm afraid that they're missing an opportunity. I don't want them to go through what I went through, so I'm going to fix this. And it becomes so self-centered through the identification and their own fear that, unfortunately, that parent that you were talking about, you, you can't actually see what's actually happening with them. Like, if you hate something, if you're crying every day, you know, for, for a season or two, do you really think they're going to want to be playing that for the rest of their life? It just, it just doesn't make any sense. It, if we can slow down and get rid of our fear of what we don't want to have happen and realize that the engagement, developing a love for the sport, teaching them, as you had said, you know, to focus on the process of self-development, then maybe they don't pick the sport that you want them to play in. Maybe they're not going to be a football player or a, a, a track star or whatever it is. But you can teach them how to invest and persevere and go through adversity and develop uh, a love for the game, whatever the game is, so they can actually excel in that for their lifetime. Right. But, you know, you mentioned those parents are coming in to see you. The parents who really need to see you wouldn't come in and see you or see me because <laughs> they, don't, they don't believe they have a problem. Let me share a story with you that, that I think validates everything you just said. My, I have two sons. Uh, my, my oldest son, Jonathan, is 27. My younger son, Gregory, is 26. Gregory swam 
until his senior year in college at New York University. And Jonathan played soccer and basketball and baseball into into high school. When the day before Jonathan started kindergarten, I got a phone call from a father who got the, the names of the kids off the door in the kindergarten uh, classroom and was calling everybody up because he wanted to start a kindergarten soccer team. And he said, well, I got your son's name, Jonathan. We want, we're going to get a, a kindergarten soccer team started. We wanted to sign him up for it. I said, well, thank you, but we're, you know, we're not interested. He's not interested in soccer. He liked playing wiffle ball with me in the backyard and playing catch and stuff like that. He had no interest in soccer at that time. And so this, this gentleman said, well, sir, apparently you don't know much about sports because if you don't sign him up now, he's going to fall behind everybody else and he'll never be successful. And I, oh, I, I then said, do you know who I am or what I do? He goes, no, but you obviously don't know much about sports. I said, well, listen, we're not going to be uh, on your team. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> and, you know, my son hadn't started kindergarten yet, and he's already being told you're going to fall behind everybody else. Well, he ended up playing yeah. soccer through high school. So I think that you, you have to, as a parent, and this is what I work with my clients on, and I share that story a lot. You have to, as a parent, ask your kids, what do you want to yeah. do? You know, I mean, how often, Dr. O'Connor, do your parents say they ask the kids what they wanted to do or that the parents tell them what to do? Yeah, you know, it's been at least somewhat 50-50. For, uh, maybe I'm lucky with some of the ones that, that I get to see. Although, here's where I really have to emphasize it with them, is that they have to ask every season. Because the more they've invested, some of the gymnasts that I work with, for example, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of travel, um, and they don't really keep checking in to see is this something that they want to continue to do, right? They're all on the Olympic track or maybe a college scholarship. They all want to get better, and it's such a, a hard and driven sport. But not realizing that, uh, like, the kids get to re-up and recommit every year. Are they still interested? There's so many developmental changes that are going. Where's their head? Where's their heart? Or are they and feeling the pressure the from their parents to re-sign up? That's the other issue there. Oh, yeah. Certainly that's a mixture in there, and certainly with all the talk about their potential and the dreams about what they could do. And it's uh, it's not just simply like, okay, you know, do you want to do this again? Because, you know, as they're writing out the check and, and recommitting, it, it's a heartfelt one about, well, why? You know, ask those developmental questions. What are you liking about it? What's not great about it? Are you interested in other things? So these are, much like you're suggesting, uh, really in-depth conversations, but ones that really have to happen every season um, so that they feel like, and you know this, right, Motivation comes from meeting those three basic needs, autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And that idea of the autonomy, helping them feel like this is their choice, helping them know that they're choosing to do this and all the work that it involves every season really goes a long way to helping them feel committed and making it their own and enjoying it. You know, you've you've brought up some great points here this morning, and I really have enjoyed talking to you. We're obviously in the same profession and have the same beliefs here. As we wrap things up, let me ask this question. What needs to be done to make the youth sports experience a better experience for kids today? And what do we need to do as professionals, in your opinion, to educate people more about making this whole youth sports experience a positive, fun one, rather than one so focused on results? You know, as I suggested earlier, I felt like because there's so much pressure and it, and even though we have education out there that the parents either don't know or are unable because of fear to, to kind of go against the current. And it's so hard for us to fight culture. And I, I don't like the legal routes of things, but I think that rules in place can help. And if I had one wish, if I could only do one thing, I would take those sports from elementary school and um, middle school and be very strict about playing time. 
Now, there can still be the other clubs. If people want to kind of go outside the school systems or some of these other and say, hey, this is competitive, you know, we can keep free enterprise. But I've seen even in the recreational leagues with volunteer coaches and stuff where, where there, people are still trying to win. And you get some kids, like in football, who are playing both sides and never coming out of a game, and other kids who get five snaps on special teams at ages seven, nine, ten. So I, I would love that all of these leagues – and I think they do have playing time rules, but everybody gets a starting position, everybody plays. And I would just be sure that that is really enforced um, across all leagues um, during those sampling years. I think that would go a, a tremendous way to developing everybody's skill, interest, and motivation. Listen, you've given some great advice. Obviously, we're in the same profession and we have the same beliefs here, but I, I want to thank you so much for joining me this morning. Listen, Dr. O'Connor, if people would like to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? Oh, yeah, I'd love to help out with uh, presentations or, or anything. Um, I'm at uh, Dr. Eddie O'Connor, um, that's O-R at the end, uh, dot com. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Sports Dr. Eddie, and on Facebook at Dr. Eddie O'Connor. I do uh, Mental Toughness in 60 Seconds. It's uh, just quick videos that I put out. They're on YouTube, uh, organized by playlists, and they're just free resources of practical advice um, so to help people along. I, so I'm happy to be an asset to uh, to anybody that needs it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Great advice, and good luck to you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hope to talk to you again. Thank you. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and you've been listening to Sports Psychology Today, produced in partnership with The Washington Times. For more episodes, go to WashingtonTimes.com, and for more information on the podcast or to advertise with us, go to WinnersUnlimited.com or email me at drj at WinnersUnlimited.com. Whoever you're listening, please check in again soon for our latest episode.